All right, Matthew chapter 26, verse 47. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? <clears throat> Matthew 26, 47. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. And Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Let's pray together. Father, these words are extraordinary. What a difficult moment for Christ, but a moment for you to be glorified as well. Open our hearts and teach us from them today in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Today's message is entitled, Ready for the Moment. Ready for the Moment. Have you ever had a bad night? I'm assuming it's not as bad as the night that Jesus had uh, in this picture, but have you had a bad night or a bad day or maybe a bad month or a bad year, but maybe one particular time in your life, like Jesus, everything came together and you just had a very, very difficult night, one that you want to forget. Jesus is about to be arrested, tried, and crucified, and here he is facing it head on. He was ready for the moment. He'd spent hours in prayer. He'd said goodbye at this last supper that he just had with the disciples. He passed a cup among them and passed some bread as we're going to do next week. He was ready for the moment. He left from dinner with his disciples and went out to pray. He spent hours in prayer while the disciples fell asleep time and again. He was ready for the moment because he was prayed up. But it was a difficult night. There's no way around it. There's no loopholes here. It was a tough night. Of course, you remember Judas in the New Testament as a traitor. And yes, Jesus knew all along that Judas was going to betray him. If you ever read in John chapter 6, there's a verse in verse 70 and 71 that tells us that Jesus knew all along that Judas was, in fact, going to betray him when the time came. But Jesus faced more than just the betrayal of Judas. He faced sleepy disciples who weren't paying any attention to what was going on. And all, all of them would desert him in just a few minutes before the night is out. And then there's Judas who would outright deny him. But not only Judas, he knew that Peter was going to deny him multiple times before the night is over. Maybe the most difficult challenge that Jesus faced wasn't just the, the disciples in their confusion of not being ready for the moment, not just the betrayal of Judas, but the, the fact that the disciples didn't understand his mission at all. Not just that they're going to run in terror and hide, but they didn't get it. In fact, Jesus is having to be careful not to allow this moment in time to pass away in a direction other than what God the Father had intended. See, all of this is foreordained. And they don't understand that. We'll get to that in just a minute. At the moment of his arrest, just after Judas kissed him, the rest of the disciples panicked. It was a fight or flight response. And in fact, they did both, fight and flight. 
Their reactions, no doubt, brought a great deal of regret in their minds later on. Because in the next three days, they're going to be in hiding, thinking about nothing but this horrible night. A moment of regret. Well, did you see the Academy Awards this week? I didn't see it either, by the way. It, I've got better things to do. I, I think it came on last Sunday night. But I have seen clips from the Academy Awards. It was an eventful, eventful Academy Awards. Uh, you know, so it was hosted by a guy named Chris Rock. And he's a comedian. And they always have a comedian get up. And, and uh, often, well, virtually every time, they make fun of whoever's sitting out there. And Chris Rock told a little off-color joke. It was a bad joke. It didn't go over well. And uh, um, Did you know that Chris Rock, his net worth is around $100 million. He made a deal recently with Netflix for two specials, and it, it, they paid him $40 million just for that alone. Um, Will Smith, uh, who is another actor that was involved, uh, Will Smith is worth $350 million, and he's married to a well-known actress who's very wealthy in her own right. And so we're talking about a scenario, and I am kind of alluded to this Wednesday night with my group Wednesday night. It's kind of a story about a cabillionaire who gets up on the stage and he makes fun of a second cabillionaire. And then after he insults the second cabillionaire who doesn't appreciate it all, then a third cabillionaire who's married to the second cabillionaire gets up and he uh, slaps the first cabillionaire. And then later he regrets it and he apologizes to the first cabillionaire and the second cabillionaire. And then he apologizes to all the cabillionaires who are members of the academy. <laughs> and then they all got, after it was over, they all got back in their Rolls Royces and went back to their mansions, so they're going to be okay. <laughs> That's my recap of the evening. These are extremely wealthy individuals. Now, if you and I did that, we'd be in jail right now, but, you know, it's just how it is. But certainly, um, it was a moment in time, and there's a lot of regret. Are you ready for the moment? It is a teachable moment, and it certainly was for him too. We'll get to that in just a minute. I, I am a pastor and a preacher, and so I don't know what you were thinking when you were watching that slap take place, but here's what I was thinking. I wonder if there are times in the Bible that people got slapped. And so I came in and did a study. I went through my concordance and found other times. In fact, in 3,000 years of history, there are only two occasions where we saw somebody else get slapped, amazingly. In the Old Testament, there was one occasion where one of God's prophets went to the king, God sent him to the king, and basically said to the king, you know, you're, you're evil and you're wicked and you're, you're not going to make it. In fact, that king would go out into the battle the next day and be killed. He gets shot with an arrow. It takes him all day to die. And uh, so he's kind of given this pronouncement to the king. And uh, that, that message was not well received. And one of his uh, military guys went over and slapped the prophet in the face. Didn't end up well for, the, for that guy either. And, uh, and then in the New Testament, there's one guy who got slapped in the face. One instance of getting slapped. Can you tell me who that was? Yeah, that was Jesus. In fact, it's only a few hours away. Now, we're not going to look at that incident uh, today. 
Uh, but as we get our hearts ready for Easter, I want you to be thinking about that and what would lead up to that and what would be after that as well. But Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to go to a multiple mock trials. We call them mock trials because they could not legally have a trial during the night. It was against the law. Uh, and all of his trials were during the middle of the night. And so he goes to the first trial. He says something that the highest priest doesn't like. And again, one of the soldiers uh, slaps Jesus in the face uh, as a result. If you want to see how to respond when somebody slaps you in the face, look at that story, look at that passage, and you get a good idea of how to, to uh, deal with that. Now, I don't have to concern myself with Will Smith. But I can share from God's word how you and I should react when we're tempted and when we're uh, bombarded by Satan and by, by temptation. The disciples can help us out with this. I really want to look at what they did in response to that night. Now, to be fair to the disciples, this is about as tough as it gets. I don't know if you were there or I was there, or, uh, if we would have responded any better than they did. But they did a number of things, all of which were wrong. There really wasn't much they could do, but they clearly weren't ready for the moment. And that's what I want you and I to be, is ready for the moment. Because the moment's going to come as God prepares our hearts for Israel. Uh, for, for Israel. God prepares our hearts for Easter in the days and weeks to come, or maybe after that, there will be moments. Are you ready for the moment? The first thing the disciples did, obviously, they acted selfishly. Not all of them. This is really, to be fair, delegated to Judas, but that was his motivation. To be, to be clear, he was thinking of one person, and it wasn't Christ. It was Judas. Judas thought about Judas a lot. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 14, it says this. Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand them over to you? So they counted out for him 30 pieces of silver or 30 silver coins. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now you notice that Judas is the one who went to them. He went to the priest. They didn't come to him. He went to them. He's looking for an opportunity and he makes a deal with them. 30 pieces of silver, not 30 pieces of gold, 30 pieces of silver. Now, 30 pieces of silver wasn't nothing, but it wasn't exactly a fortune. And I suspect, and I, I find myself wondering, what if they had said to Judas, I tell you what, we're just going to give you 15. Will you do it for 15? How about 10? Will you do it for five? Five pieces of silver. Or what, what about 15 bronze coins? Will you do it for 15 bronze coins? I think they could have worked him down quite a bit. I think he had it in his heart to betray Jesus. I think he was thinking of Judas and Judas's future. And he did what he did because of Judas. He was thinking strictly selfishly. And then it says, after he made the deal, the dirty deal with these religious leaders, that he went out and he looked for an opportunity he could have said later on, look, I feel bad about what I did. I don't know what I was thinking. I'm not going to do it. On the contrary, evil was in his heart and he was determined. He was determined to find an opportunity to betray Jesus. So even when he goes back and he's talking with Jesus and, and he goes to the last supper with Jesus, 
Remember, that's when Jesus has him, tells him, you know, what are you going to do? Do quickly. And has him get up and leave at that point. But he's there. He's there thinking, uh, instead of thinking about God's purpose for him, thinking about the mission, thinking about the kingdom, thinking about all the things that Jesus had taught him, he's sitting there thinking, how can I work this out to betray him? Wow. He clearly wasn't ready for the moment. He was selfish. Listen, selfishness will get to us. You don't have to be a billionaire to be selfish. You can be flat broke and be selfish. We're born that way. Babies think of nothing but themselves, and we hope our children grow out of that. Your parents hoped the same thing. We, we, we hope that we grow out of selfishness. Did you know that psychologists have a test for selfishness? It's called the narcissism test. A true story. They, they, read, they read people's statements in this test. They go like this. Statements like this. Uh, if you're somebody like this. I like to be the center of attention. Or I show off if I get the chance because I'm extraordinary. Or somebody should write a biography about me. <laughs> Would you check any of those boxes? Here's the, the important thing from the test. The median score on this test has risen 30% in the last two decades. That is, we as a society are becoming increasingly narcissistic. We're selfish. Judas was driven by selfishness. And the New Testament tells us he was greedy. It was all about him in his mind. Are you selfish? In the spirit of Jeff Foxworthy, uh, the guy who did the You Might Be a Redneck If fame, I saw a list this week uh, entitled You Might Be Selfish If. <laughs> and see if you're one of these. I'm just going to read a few to you. You might be selfish if you have a genuinely, genuinely difficult time letting someone else have the remote control. You might be selfish if you pick up the last piece of chicken, take a bite out of it, hold it up and say, does anybody want this? You might be selfish if you know all the words to the song, I did it my way. <laughs> you might be selfish if your favorite picture at home is the mirror. <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. Did you know, according to a Newsweek magazine poll, if Americans could have their wildest dreams come true, if Americans could have their wildest dream come true, according to this poll, 38% would choose to win the lottery and only 1% would actually choose world peace. They would much rather win the lottery than to have peace across our world. One of the greatest challenges in marriage today is selfishness. I read one writer put it this way. <laughs> Again, I didn't, I didn't write this. Somebody else did. About marriage and the problem with marriage in our culture and in our world today. He says, most of us are selfish. We come to marriage like a tick on a dog. A tick gets on a dog and sucks the blood out of that dog. The tick contributes nothing to the dog. And then he says, the problem in marriage today is sometimes we have two ticks and no dog. <laughs> he said, we have two people draining the life out of one another with neither partner contributing anything to the relationship. It's all about what each can get out of the other. 
Wow. That is profound but true. If you're not happy and you're looking for someone that will make you happy, you're probably thinking of marriage like a tick and a dog. If you're looking for someone that you can make happy, that's healthy. They reacted out of selfishness. The second thing that we see the disciples do is they reacted impulsively. They reacted impulsively. Look with me in Matthew chapter 26, verse 51. Matthew 26, 51. This is a fascinating story. You have to, you have to read it closely. With that, this is at that scene uh, when Jesus is arrested. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? This is a wow moment. This is amazing. His response versus the response of the disciples. And again, they don't know what to do. They're panicking. They're just flipping out. They see Jesus being arrested, and so they pull out their weapons, whoever has weapons, and one of them has a sword, and he pulls it out. Matthew doesn't tell us who it is. Mark doesn't tell us, and Luke doesn't tell us. They all mention the event, but they don't tell us. But John rats him out and throws him right under the bus. Who was the one? It was Peter. Yeah, Peter did it. Pulled out his sword. And again, I'm not there. I don't know who's nearby and who's not nearby and why on earth he picks the person that he picks, but he whacks off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He doesn't get one of the soldiers or anybody like that, this servant. I, I don't know if the servant's armed or he just happened to be at the wrong place or the wrong time, but Peter, he, he, he wants some flesh. So he, he, he starts swinging and off goes this guy's ear and you know what happened. Jesus restored his ear, healed him right there on the spot. Now, there should have been a worship service that followed that, but there wasn't. It's just bizarre, isn't it not bizarre? But it's what Jesus said in response that I find so beautiful, it's just so wonderful. He says, guys, what are you doing? Peter, what are you doing? Don't you know I'm in complete control of this? He says, if I wanted to, I could call out to my heavenly father and he would send down, what does he say? 12 legions of angels at my disposal at any moment. I got this. You don't have to, you, you, you're out of control. You think this is an out of control moment, but it's not. It's exactly what scripture has prophesied. And I'm not here to get away from anything. I'm not here to get out of doing anything. On the contrary, I'm here to fulfill scripture. It's my destiny. Now he's told them many times, told them earlier that night at the last supper, exactly what was gonna happen when he passed that, that uh, uh, wine and said, this is my blood and passed that bread and said, this is my body. And still every bit of it just went right over their heads. They're not ready for the moment. And so they reactive reacted impulsively. So why the swords? Why the running? Well, they just weren't 
ready. Maybe they thought they were. Peter thought he was ready, but he clearly wasn't. In fact, as Jesus has already prophesied to him here in just a couple of hours, maybe less even, Peter is going to deny that he even knows who Jesus is. Three times he's going to deny. He's not ready. As we prepare ourselves for Easter, are you ready for the moment? Because between now and then, unexpected things may come our way that will shatter your faith, catch you off guard. Are you ready? I'm pretty certain that if Will Smith could go back in time one week, he would definitely have acted or reacted differently than what he did. Clearly, if I could go back in time in my own life, there are things that I would say and do differently than what I said and did, as is the truth with, one, with every one of you. The only difference between you and I and Will Smith is that Will Smith did what he did in front of 20 million people. And you and I make our mistakes a little more privately. Praise God for that. <laughs> 20 million people, oh my goodness. And probably a billion people or more have watched that clip now and it, it will never be undone. He clearly wasn't ready for the moment. And we get caught off guard too. But one interesting part about that, it was a teachable moment for him. And a lot of the most important lessons in life are painful moments. There was another actor after that had happened. I mean, there's kind of chaos ensuing. Uh, an actor named Denzel Washington came, comes up onto the stage and talks to Will Smith. Now, you need to know that Will Smith comes from a Christian background in his life and has uh, claimed some, some Christian aspects of uh, belief and faith in his life. Denzel Washington is a well-known believer in Christ in, in, um, in Hollywood, and he's talked about his faith openly before. And so Denzel Washington goes up to Will Smith after this happens, and he, do you know what he did? Right there on the stage of the Oscars, he prayed with Will Smith, led him in a prayer. Isn't that amazing? I guess that's what it takes in Hollywood for prayer to happen at the Oscars. Somebody got to get slapped. <laughs> but he actually did that. He prayed with him. And he said this on the stage. He said to Will, he said, at your highest moment, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. Well, that would certainly be true of the disciples. They had been at their highest moment. They were at the peak. They weren't ready for this moment because their head and their heart was somewhere else. They're still on the mountaintop. They're not ready to let go of that. It was just days earlier that they came into Jerusalem following Jesus as he's on that donkey and thousands of people are throwing down palm branches in front of them. It's this huge ticker tape parade for Jesus and they're worshiping Jesus openly. Not just the disciples, but the throngs of people. And the disciples, his right-hand men, are right behind him just soaking it up. They've been waiting three years for this. They're there. It's the parade. They're, they're thrilled. They're excited. Look at us. We're the disciples of Jesus. And just a week later, they're going to be scattered and hiding and denying. 
weren't ready. At your highest moment, Denzel Washington said, be careful. That's when the devil comes for you. That's profound biblical theology. This weekend, Denzel Washington said in an interview, he was interviewed, I think this was yesterday or the day before, he was interviewed by a famous pastor named T.D. Jakes. And he said this to to Pastor T.D. Jakes. He said, but for the grace of God, go any of us. Who are we to condemn? I don't know all the ins and outs of this situation, but I know the only solution was prayer. And the way I saw it and the way I see it, prayer. That's pretty good theology. I don't know if there's ever been better doctrine come out of Hollywood. The third thing that the disciples did, not only did they uh, react selfishly and impulsively, but they reacted fearfully. There's no question. Part of why Jesus pulled that sword out was pure terror, losing control of the situation. And anytime we feel that we're not in control, fear comes to get us. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 56, just one verse, but an important verse says this. This is just at at the the arrest. Peter has sliced off the ear. Jesus has rebuked him and restored it. And then it says this, then all the disciples, what? Deserted him and fled. All of them. Well, they finally did something together. (laughs) How about that? That's teamwork. They all, they, every one of them deserted Christ and fled. Is that not extraordinary? Extraordinarily disappointing, but extraordinary. The reason is they, they reacted fearfully. They were terrified. We know that because later on, the Bible tells us they were all in hiding. These are grown men hiding like cowards because they're terrified that they're coming for them next. In 1 Kings 17, there's this beautiful story. I won't read it, but I'll share it with you just briefly. And those of you who know the Old Testament know this story well. It's about a prophet named Elijah. And Elijah finds himself in the midst of a terrible drought, a famine. There's a famine in the land. There's no food. And again, you and I, we go down to Walmart, but they didn't have Walmart. They just all died. That's what happens in a famine. They, they would die. Their families would die. Their children, there was no government cheese. There was no handouts. There was no food stamps or anything like that. If you couldn't eat, you died. And they were dying. Elijah didn't have anything to eat either. So God said, I want you to go to this town. And there's this widow lady there. She's going to take care of you. And he said, okay. So he goes to the town, and as he gets to the city gates, sure enough, there's a widow lady out there gathering sticks. So he says to her, hey, um, can I have a drink of water? I'm thirsty. It was an odd, awkward moment. She handles it well. She says, okay. And then he says, right after that, she, she turns to go get the water, and he immediately says to her, as she's turning to go get the water, hey, how about uh, some bread? That sounds good. Could you, bring, <laughs> could you bring yum now? That's right. Could you, because I'm thinking about Spring Creek barbecue bread, that sort of thing. Mm. And so he says, uh, could you bring me a little loaf of bread? And then she explains to him, well, the reason I'm out here gathering these sticks is because I'm going to take them back home and start a little fire. I've got just a little bit of flour and just a little bit of oil, just enough for two little biscuits or cakes. 
or, or loaves of bread. What you and I would, probably about the size of the one at Spring Creek Barbecue. I, I, I go there too often, apparently. But anyway, uh, just small loaves of bread. She said, we're going to eat these and then we're going to die. And in other words, this is our last supper. And so the, the request in the middle of a famine was seemingly so inappropriate, just almost bizarre. Can you give me some bread? So after she explains, instead of him saying, you poor dear woman, go in peace. He doesn't do that. What he says is, I tell you what, you go make the bread for me and then make it for yourselves and God will provide. And sure enough, amazingly, she does what he requests, goes in faith. And this is faith. When you only got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and nothing left. You give that to God. This is faith. This is faith knowing that you not only are you going to die, but your son, your child who you love, you're going to watch them die a terrible death of starvation as well. But she does it in faith. And you know the story every day from then on. There was a little bit of bread, uh, excuse me, a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil in the cupboard. And the next day and the next week and the next month until the famine was over, she had bread every day for herself, her son, and for Elijah. Now, here's what's interesting is when he comes up to her and she shares this with him, do you know what he said to her? He says this, and it sounds trite. But he, he was speaking from his heart here. He says to her, don't be afraid. She says, I'm about to make these two little loaves and we're going to die. He says, don't be afraid. God will provide. For you in your life and your problems and your struggles, it may not make sense, but I want you to know today, don't be afraid. Fear will always cause you to do bad things and send you in the wrong direction. Don't be afraid. Some of you today are living in fear. I don't know what it is or where it is. I don't know the context of your life, but you know God is saying to you right now, don't be afraid. For the disciples, fear dominated their lives for the next three days as they hid in the homes. But in Luke chapter 24, we see after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples and he said two very important things. The first thing he said to his disciples after the resurrection, I mean, they're seeing him in shock. It's a shock and awe. It's the ultimate historical shock and awe moment. <laughs> you talk about shock. He's standing in front of them. Died gruesomely three days before. And there he stands and he says to them, the first thing he says is peace to you. Now that was a common greeting, but Jesus didn't mean it as a common greeting. He meant it literally. He knew they didn't have any peace in their heart. They're all churned up in there. There's so much anxiety and frustration and doubt and all of this mess. And he said, peace. Just like when he calmed the storm, I can imagine in their hearts immediately everything just went calm. And then he said to them, 
a question. Do you remember the question? <laughs> it's got to be a frustrating question to the disciples. But he asked this question. I mean, he's just been horribly crucified after a terrible mock trial and, and everything seems to have gone wrong. And he asked them the question. Do you know the question? He says, he says peace to you. And then he says this. Why are you troubled? <laughs> I'm sure they're standing there going, what? What do you mean, why are we troubled? You were dead. I, I don't know if you noticed, but you were dead. <laughs> of course they're troubled. What he means is, what good does it do for you to be troubled at this point? Now, maybe he's trying to tell them, I told you this was going to happen. I told you that it was going to die. I told you that it was going to come back from the grave in three days. Why didn't you trust me when I told you this? Why are you troubled? You should be looking for me. You should be expecting me. Why are you troubled? How much has God brought you through? How many moments in your life? And yet we're troubled again and again and again. And we throw up our hands and go, what's going on? What's happening? How am I going to get through this? And God is saying to you, why are you troubled? Do you not know? Do you not remember what I have promised? So this week, don't act selfishly or impulsively or fearfully. Listen, God knows everything about you. He knows things about you that nobody else knows but you, and he loves you anyway. Don't let your heart be troubled. He's here. Be ready for the moment. I want Easter to be a wonderful, wonderful day for the glory of God. But I want it to be a wonderful day that you will remember all of your life, that day where there was nothing but peace and joy and a beautiful moment. Be ready. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you this morning, let us learn from the disciples to be ready for the moment. And that moment may be a dark time, just as it was for Christ and his disciples. It may be, like at the Oscars, we get caught off guard. And in the heat of the moment, we think impulsively or selfishly. And we do or say things that we'll deeply regret. It may be in our own life, our own marriage, at school or at work. Father, I pray that you would help us to be ready for the moment spiritually. That we know it's coming. And we know how to respond. Graciously and not in anger. Wisely, not foolishly. Father, as you prepare our hearts for Easter, coming in just a couple of weeks, may we be ready for that moment together. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? Are you ready? Do you find yourself being caught off guard daily? You're not expecting it. Do you find yourself regretting things that you say and do? and wish that you could go back and redo them. You can't go back and do, redo them. God can forgive you for it, but it's already done. But one thing you can do is be ready for the next moment. Let the wisdom of God and the mercy of God be manifest in your life. 
I know if Christ were here and he is, he would say to you, peace be with you. Don't be troubled. He's in control. And I know some of you here are struggling. You're really having a tough time. Listen to me. God is in control. You may not be able to see it, but I promise, whether you can or not, God is in control. The disciples couldn't see it, but God was completely in control. As he said to his disciples, I could end this in a moment. We had have legions of angels come down in an instant. I got this. I can take care of you. Listen, he's got this. He, he can take care of your issues and your life, your challenges. He can take care of you. Trust him. And let peace reign in your life. Could be you want to come and kneel and pray at the altar and just say, God, I pray for this situation or I pray that you would prepare me for the moment because the moment's coming. I pray that I would be ready. Or you might want to pray, God, prepare my heart for Easter coming up. In the next two weeks, I pray I'm ready. That the day wouldn't come and go and I just let it pass and don't really think about my Savior that much. Help me to be ready. Could be God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to make your church home here. Just come down and say, Pastor, I'd like to join. That's all you have to do. Or maybe you want to surrender your life to Christ. That's not easy, but it is simple. Surrender. You know what surrender means. You come and say, Lord, you're going to be my Lord. You are my Lord from here on out. I repent of my sins. I give my life to you. And I believe you came back to life. You died for me, came back to life. If God is calling right now, here's your opportunity. Here's your moment to respond. No one's looking around as you continue to pray. Would you stand? And as you stand and as you pray right now, you come.